Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. I thought you were testing the mic. That was, you threw me off. Every episode of this show is me testing the mic. <laughs> <laughs> this is one long test. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It it's, it, we're at about 400 hours of testing this microphone, and I'm still not sure if I like it. Uh, like just the last episode ends abruptly with you being like eh I'm gonna get a new microphone that's the end of the show (laughs) right that's the big season finale or the big series Um, finale before we started recording you said you had a surprise for me you've been doing this a lot lately you keep secrets from me I like it yeah it's it's fun I really enjoy springing things onto you Um, this one I like because I know that you can talk about it okay which is fun so uh, yesterday, I just played like a ton of video games. I just kind of was like bouncing around Game Pass, which is just like a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, you know, I jumped into Sea of Thieves and started a new character because I haven't played that game like since it came out just about. Um, and I know they've added a ton. So I played that for a little bit, like just to see how it felt to jump into Sea of Thieves with all the like new mm-hmm. stuff. There's a little bit more of a tutorial. That was fun for a while. Um, but then I kind of bounced out of it because I feel like that's a game you should really play with people. So I was just kind of like looking around at yeah. the other stuff I had downloaded that I wanted to try at some point. And I started playing a game that I know you have played called Moonlighter, which... Ah, is that the surprise? Yeah. I started playing it. I played it for like about an hour to an hour and a half. And I was like really getting into it. Like time was just kind of like flying by the more I played it. And I did a thing that I'm really surprised by. I ended up going on the Nintendo Switch shop and then buying Moonlighter. Um, Wow. Yeah, even though I had it on Game Pass, I could sit down, I could play it as much as I wanted on Game Pass. I was like, the more I played and the further I got into it and the more stuff I started upgrading in the world, the more I was like, I think I need this on Switch. Like, I think I'm going to want to take this with me. I think this is like exactly the kind of game that should be on the Switch. So at a certain point, I like upgraded and I'll get into you know how this game works and stuff. But I upgraded the uh, the the shop once, which is like a pretty heavy monetary investment in that game. And then as soon yeah. as I did that, I was like, you know what? This is this is too much. Like I've gotten too far in this version if I'm going to like just go back and forth on on having it on Switch or not. And then I opened up the Switch eShop and it was half off. And I had like eight dollars of, of eShop coins that I could spend. Um, So oh, I got right it for like I got it for like four bucks. Uh, and now I have it on Switch, and I have played, Steven, a ton of that game in the past wow. day. Even with you and I streaming for three hours, and then me streaming for another hour after that. Uh, even <laughs> with me doing a bunch of errands yesterday to get ready for my trip abroad, I played a ton of Moonlighter. And uh, I love this game. I love it. I really wish I would played it last year when it came out. And I know that you played it a bit, and you kind of bounced off of it, and I, I thought that might be an interesting discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really happy you're enjoying it. This is a game that you in your words gaslit me into getting and then never got it yourself yes uh, i do that a lot <laughs> not consciously but you know your your excitement is uh <laughs> is like flame in the wind you i know? was accused well, recently then. of um frequently singing the praises of an album and then a week later when the person i sung the praises to gets into it i tell them that i have uh, later decided that it is trash <laughs> like this is the thing that happens all the time and people kept listing albums i was like oh yeah i did like that when it came out whoops yeah 
very typical Gemini behavior. I guess. Yeah. Himself. I'm very excitable. Yeah. It's a good thing because it's always genuine. You're not. You're not trying. You're not running a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if I had to say anything about you, it's that you are not running a pyramid scheme. It's a multi-level <laughs> media market. No. My um, I'm not running a pyramid scheme T-shirt has people asking a lot of questions that are already answered by my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you need from me? What else can I say? I had shirts um, made, and anyway. you can buy six of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Knock, knock. Who's there? New shirts. Split the profits. Okay. We talk about pyramid schemes a lot recently. I don't know why that is. Yeah. We, things just kind of enter our unconscious. Yeah. Uh, one minute they're there, one minute they're trash, just like that new album. Anyway, uh, Moonlighter is an indie game developed by Digital Sun, published by 11-Bit Studios. In it, you play as an adventurer who is a shopkeeper first, adventurer second. So the whole premise is that you are running a store where you are selling items that you find in like Legend of Zelda-esque dungeons. So half the game is at night exploring these dungeons. Uh, That's kind of like a roguelike-esque vibe um and then in the morning you sell the items the thing about the shopkeeping is that you don't 100 percent know what an item is worth right away you have like a a book of all the items that you could possibly find and sell and like you can see what tier it's in but you're not sure like what exact price is so what happens is you you physically put items for sale on like display and customers will walk in and pass by it and they will have one of three reactions they'll either have coins for eyes very <laughs> uh-huh. excited which yeah. means that you're probably selling it for too cheap um because they're way too excited to buy this like you know weed for like a literal weed. Right, yeah. <laughs> You're selling weed for way too less uh, or for way too little. Um, uh, or they'll be sad because it's too expensive or they'll be like, oh, this is this is moderately priced. Yeah. There's um, also a an expression that's like, there's no way in hell I sh- would ever buy this at this price. There's like an angry. Yeah. People get like angry at your pricing. <laughs> Uh, And there's some more nuance within that where, like, if there's an item, like, you could probably get away with selling an item for, like, the coins for eyes expression if there's a lot of them in supply. So, like, you know, there's some nuance within that. Yeah, and Uh, the economy kind of fluctuates where uh, items go, like, in and out of vogue, I would say. Or like, yeah, um, you know, there's an actual supply and demand situation. And if supply is low and demand is high, like you can sell stuff for way more than you should. And that kind of stuff fluctuates pretty frequently. Yeah. And, and the whole the whole aesthetic of the game is really nice. It's like very Super Nintendo-esque. It reminds me a little bit of Bastion, actually. I think it's just like the gray haired protagonist. Yeah, uh, I would say it's like a like a pixel art version of bastion that reminds me a lot of a link to the past in terms of like the way the town is set up yeah um and then you like you said alluded to earlier you can upgrade services within the town with the money you have so um you can upgrade i think your own shop you can you can invite a witch to town who sells potions right or Mm -hmm. did i dream that no no no, you you can yeah there's a bunch of uh people who want to set up their own shops in town and you can give them the startup cost involved in getting set up there yeah which it's that doesn't help you really in any way in terms of like monetary value in their shop like they you're not getting any of their profits or anything um but all of their services are kind of complementary to your adventure yeah so this game has a lot going for it and i really love the premise uh, i i'm kidding when i said you gaslit you gaslit me into getting this because i got it because it sounded interesting. Oh yeah, totally. And I was excited to talk about it and it seemed like up our alley. I played it for probably a handful of hours and 
I just found it really boring, to be completely honest. Like, I found that the dungeon elements were, like, very dry. Like, it was very... And honestly, I don't think it's the game's fault as much as that there are so many games like this, despite the unique premise. Mm -hmm. There are so many retro dungeon crawlers that, like, it doesn't really do anything to distinguish itself. So, like, that part feels very dry to me. But the game is focusing both in its title and in its, like, mechanics around the shop. And that's where the game is more interesting. But even then, it really is just putting things on a table and waiting for people to emote. And that, to me, was just not fun at all. Yeah. (laughs) So I bounced. I get that, Um, yeah. Every discussion I've seen online about this game pretty much says exactly the same thing. Like, everyone on the internet, for the most part, and not to say that you're you're taking a big old dump on it, uh, because you're not. You appreciate pieces of it. But, like, pretty much every discussion I've seen online is, like, this game sucks. It's the most disappointing disappointing game of 2018 i hate it which is you know there's more nuance than that (laughs) in in what is good and bad about this game Uh, for sure i mean i'm very much attracted to games that have this kind of duality like we've talked about you know I, i we've talked a lot about fire emblem and persona having this sort of shift between day-to-day life and then the combat essentially totally there are games that have a more uh a less distinguished duality like breath of the wild you have i mean you have like more than duality you have so many facets of what you could do in that game and they all kind of help each other yeah i think I was talking to a close friend of mine about how it's kind of ironic that like there's so much to do in that game that putting off fighting Ganon almost feels irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Sadie brought that up. Sadie, if you're listening, hello. But in a weird way, everything you do in that game is helping the world, which I think is what makes it so beautiful. Like catching yeah. horses and cooking and all that is either helping you and your chances against Ganon mm-hmm. or it's helping someone else uh, and helping the world kind of regrow. Yeah. So I bring all that up because I think that in the case of Persona and Fire Emblem, the duality really helps because the day-to-day life is there as a narrative tool to help you care more about your characters so that when you are fighting, even if you're not into the combat, which in, in those cases of both games is great, you care because you care about the characters. In the case of Moonlighter, I never really cared about how well my store was doing because there was nothing for me to really hang on to. If anything, I would say I was most intrigued by uh, investing in the town, like yeah. getting the different services to come. But like even then, there there aren't really a ton. See, I don't I don't want to. This game is not the worst game I've played by any stretch. Nor would I say it's bad. I I know you and 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 plenty of my friends have really enjoyed it. But I just find that it doesn't do either thing well enough to keep me going. So I just found eventually I'm like, oh, I don't enjoy either part of this game. So mm-hmm. I stop playing it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. The thing. The thing that I find fascinating about this game is like I feel all of those grievances like as I'm playing it. Like I very much understand yeah. where you're coming from on pretty much every point there. Like I, I think from like the town management perspective, like none of those you get those characters to show up and start building stuff for you and you feel absolutely no connection to them beyond like they are kind of a funnel for items that might help you in your dungeon crawling. Yeah. There there's not a whole lot of like life in the town. You can talk to all of the people who are like roaming around the town and they all have like dialogue options and and 
stuff like that. But it doesn't really like build a sense of of place in a strange way. Like none of that yeah. text like really endears me to the world at all. And then in the actual shop itself, like there's not really too much of a reward for like upgrading your shop outside of just like having more services available and just kind of like very slowly trickling down, trickling down like new mechanics to make the shop a little bit more uh, a little bit more interesting in terms of in terms of the mechanics. So like right now I just got the second shop upgrade which allows you to do two extra things. One of them is place objects in cases in like jewel cases which then increases their value because they're on like a kind of like nicer display so people think that they're more valuable uh it also prevents thieves from <laughs> stealing like them a, a monster's eyeball and a jewel <laughs> like, pretty much like, please write this way sir truffle oil for your for yours truly yeah that that is literally how it works um and then the other thing is it allows you to take orders from people so like they can show up and say hey would you be able to get me like eight of these golem cores uh you know by i don't know six days from now and you know you can say yes or no and then go into the dungeons and like specifically go seek those things out and then fulfill their orders and you get a shitload of money for doing that which like is cool like that is now giving me another reason to go back into the dungeons with like specific sure. intent beyond just like yeah. let me just kill everything i possibly can and get money um and, and get items and sell them so i i found this like i found this loop of of going into the dungeons, seeing how far i can get which is like really the core conceit of the game is like you want to see what's behind uh, the final door in all the dungeons. Um, it's worth mentioning there are five dungeons in this game or maybe four. I'm not really sure. Only the first one is open when you start uh, because the town has deemed it too dangerous to open any of the other ones. Um, so you can only go into the first dungeon, which is pretty much just like a very like classic Legend of Zelda kind of like almost like Breath of the Wild style like rock guardians that are somehow alive uh, that you have to take out and you just kind of make your way through there and every time you kill a thing in the dungeon you uh, you get a whole bunch of items that you can then like turn around and sell in the shop uh, eventually once you make it through the whole dungeon there are three floors in each dungeon there's a big boss at the end you kill the boss you get the key to the next dungeon and the town is like okay you know because of your exploits and you've gone and killed the golem king now we will unlock the next dungeon and you make your way through all four of those and then there's this big round door that you're trying to get into and i don't know what's beyond that maybe another dungeon maybe not um but that is that is the kind of like far 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 end goal of the game is to get behind that fifth door what i have found most interesting i think is the very slow progression um i thought yeah. that this game was going to go by very quickly and i'm kind of surprised at how long it has taken me to get to the first or to get through the first dungeon and that has come hand in hand with i'm gonna say the word and aj's gonna bleep it out again but it's kind of my in in the <laughs> the the loop of you know go into dungeon get stuff die or get close to dying then teleport out and then sell your stuff reminds me so much of why I played Minecraft in the beginning like the beginning beginning like early alpha Minecraft was pretty much I loved going down into the depths uh, digging as far down yeah. into caves as possible filling up my inventory with as much stuff as I possibly could and then going back up to the top of the world and seeing what I could do with it um, and just making that loop back and forth and back and forth and back and forth was like a great mindless task that I loved dumping hours into um, because it was always like, I, don't, I have no idea what I'm going to see down there, but it's going to be wild. Um, and if it's not, then I'm like building a cool cave structure by myself, which is also fun. Um, and then when I come up, I can, you know, try and explore and see what kind of uh, interesting stuff I can make with all of this. Moonlighter feels very similar to me, uh, but it's wrapped up in in this like Legend of Zelda roguelike kind of experience. And, and I've been having a really good time with it. I'm also like setting a lot of very 
specific goals for myself. Like I really wanted a bow because I wanted to see like how the bow worked. Uh, so you can go talk to the armor and weapons crafting guy once you unlock him, once you give him, you know, the seed money he needs to build his uh, his place in your town. And you can uh, like hover over all the items he has uh, and see what goes into making them because it's always money and then three specific artifacts you have to pull out of the out of the dungeon. Uh, and you can set them to your wish list, which means like whenever you pick up that thing, it will mark it in your inventory. So you kind of know to not sell it. You still can sell it, but it marks it so you know to not sell it. So going into the dungeons with like that in mind, like I really want to go get this very specific thing uh, or this group of specific things. Um, and, and then, you know, going in, seeing if you can get them and then get out regardless going into the dungeon is getting you a bunch of artifacts anyway even if you're not getting the stuff you want you're still getting a bunch of things that you can sell to upgrade so I, I find this idea that like I'm setting goals for myself but always progressing regardless of what I'm doing is really satisfying and I guess like to to go to bump up against the common complaint about the the dungeon combat being kind of low-key uh, and and not like super fleshed out is like I found it really clunky for the first like hour to hour and a half. And then suddenly it all clicked for me for some reason. Uh, and now I'm like dodge rolling out of the way constantly, whipping out my sword mm-hmm. and shield, like shielding when I need to, sorting when I when I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, once I got the bow, the bow completely changed how I play that game. It, it made that combat like way more interesting. And there's still like five or six other kinds of weapons that I haven't even tried yet uh, that I'm excited to check out at some point. But right now I'm so locked into sword and shield and bow that it just feels so Zelda-y and, and I'm, I'm a big yeah. fan of it. All that said, it just makes a package that I'm like really enjoying, but I still understand that I think my enjoyment of it just comes from like the act of progression and 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 the act of uh, of like the act of doing something mindless and getting something out of it. Like there is not a whole lot by way of of story or really depth of gameplay that is like keeping me locked in. It is more just the idea that like what is there has such a satisfying sense of of progression in scale that I'm I'm having a good time because uh, like even going from the first dungeon to the second one you go in and it's like it's difficult it's not easy to make it through the first dungeon all the way to the end and once you beat that and you go into the second dungeon you are like powered up enough b- by your armor and upgrades to your weapons and stuff like that and like enchantments on your weapons from the witch that you can hire to <laughs> live in your town that you are powerful enough to make it through that dungeon pretty easily and then once you get into the second one it is just as hard as the first one just because you You've gotten better, not because like the game is scaling in any way. Like you have mm-hmm. gotten better, and and that that dungeon is just as difficult to match exactly how much time you've put into upgrading your stuff. So the game always feels as difficult as it is. Like at all times, it will always be exactly that difficult. And I can understand how that might like rub people the wrong way. But for me, I I am enjoying it enough uh, that that I love it. Like I really love it, and I'm excited to continue playing it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'm really happy you found a propelling force within that game because there was enough that I liked that I wanted to give it more of a fair shot. Um, maybe I'll revisit it, but I think like I don't think it's it's worthwhile either with giving feedback or with like uh, constructive criticism of something to say like what one would have done because it's like a different intention. So I can right, see yeah. being like, well, I would, but. I try to judge things by what were they trying to accomplish. So like the goal here, I think like the intention here was like they wanted to make 
a kind of inverted like flipped experience of a dungeon crawler where like yeah. there is always that sense of like you go fight a bunch of monsters you sell the stuff and usually like selling the stuff is like kind of just the beat in between fighting but they wanted to like really make that be in the spotlight this time i really feel like if they weren't going to do anything with the story or the characters they could have really benefited from more customization mm-hmm. like double down on being my and like have me build my own store like that would have done a lot for me yeah to keep me going because, yeah having, having to set like, upgrades in the shop just like okay you can upgrade your cash register what is it your cash register your bed you can add like a for sale box uh and there's there's a fourth thing or you can make the store bigger uh which is what adds yeah. like slightly new mechanics but there's nothing by way of like i want to change the color of the roof or i want to put like art around the place or things like that um, you know exactly what i would have done yeah, yeah there's like, like there's like a dribbling that, slime pot that's in your store that you can't get rid of as far as i can tell and like every time i see it i'm like <laughs> that would turn customers away i want to get rid of that and that's the thing it's like if this whole game is about the shop like they could have done so much more with that you know like that's that's where i kind of again it sounds like it gets more nuanced at least in the customer interaction like the sale yeah. of it but I think that it would have, like, based on what the game is trying to do, it could have benefited from more customization. So, like, this is not enough for me to keep playing it when I when I feel like every like nothing is bad. They're not doing anything poorly, but everything is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's kind of how I feel about this game. Like everything is fine. Yeah. But it's like not enough, especially with like how much great stuff is out. Like in an oversaturated market, it's unfortunate that a game like this that has a lot of cool ideas and a lot of novelty is kind of like you know fading into obscurity just based on the competition unfortunately yeah but at the same time this is working for enough people that like they clearly did something right and maybe it's just not my thing that's totally fun yeah you know? it really it really speaks to the part of me that plays idle games on my phone i was like, about to say yeah yeah it, it there's that like just kind of progression at any cost that kind of uh that, that really hooks me uh, it's the same reason like people play destiny and get as into it as they do you know obviously like the combat and stuff in that game is great but once you've played like a strike or uh, a specific mission or raid or something 400 times which is like an actual number of times that you can play a thing in destiny like you're not playing it for that reason anymore you're not playing it because the combat is good you know you're playing it to get a thing out of it Uh, and that's kind of what i'm getting from this game is like every time i go into the dungeon unless i die i'm getting something out of it uh and and that is kind of weirdly enough to propel me through um and uh yeah I don't know. I, I, I like this game a whole bunch um, and, and I get why people wouldn't, but I personally would recommend it. If any of the if any of the ways that I described things and why I like them appeals to you, I would recommend checking it out while it's this cheap. Definitely like while it's on sale. Um, and even if it's not on sale, I think it would be worth it. I was planning on buying it at full price anyway. But just the idea that like I played a game on Game Pass and thought as actively as I was playing it, I would like to play the, I, I want to purchase this game and have it forever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. And it's not something that had ever really occurred to me as a possibility until I started playing Moonlighter and realized the more I played it, the more this game would benefit from being handheld and coming with me. And like, I'm going, I'm going to be on a plane for like 14 hours uh, in a couple days. And like, I will probably play this game while I'm on the plane uh, if I'm not, yeah. if I'm not editing podcasts. But um, <laughs> I think, uh, sorry, I think, I think this, I think this game is going to be great for traveling and just for like checking in every once in a while. Like when I don't know what to play, I can hop into Moonlighter and like progress a little bit further. Like I could see myself finishing this game, uh, but it might take me, you know, an entire year of like checking 
checking in every once in a while and just getting a little yeah. bit further every time. I was about to say you you brought it up first that this remind like this game appeals to the part of you that likes idle games. I I don't mean this as a dig against the game, but I feel like this game would probably shine more as a mobile game. I think like everything it's trying to do is probably more suited for a game structure, you know what I mm, mean? Yeah. Like I feel like and I think I have it on the Switch and I would say if you were going to get it, it it's a good Switch game. Like it has just like a handheld nature to it. Yeah, I, I, I think I don't have that part of me at all, to be completely frank. And yeah. that's not a dig against it, but like I don't I don't really gravitate towards idle games at all. Right. I truly I, I think that there are games I have that are kind of a passive experience, but like usually it's something that's just familiar. Like Mario Kart is my version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But that is a very involved game, which just kind of shows you how I'm wired. You know, I drink too much coffee and think too much. Yeah. Well, Spelunky became so- <laughs> that game for me too. And Spelunky is like, yeah. like doing 5 billion calculations in your head at any given moment about like what the right move is. Same with Binding of Isaac. Like that was my podcast game, like all through high school. Um, yeah. Oddly yeah. enough, FTL was that for me for a while. Um, right. And yeah. I can see Into the Breach becoming that again. Um, Slay the Spire, same thing. Yeah. But all those games are are really like Slay the Spire and FTL and Into the Breach are all kind of laser focused on strategy. Yeah. FTL is a bit more improvisational because there's just so much randomness and like losses in FTL are brutal. They just happen like abruptly and without ceremony. Yeah. yeah. I was just about to say but all of those the- games really focus on surprising you with the mechanics that are in place whereas moonlighter tries to do that by way of like having the randomly generated dungeons but at the end of the day you're just going into a room and fighting all the enemies in there and then moving on to the next room like that's really all you're getting out of it you definitely have made me want to check it out again uh i don't know if my opinion will change but i do like because it sounds like you had the same experience that i did in the first handful of hours which is all i have played so i don't see myself turning around but i i definitely think that there's a lot to appreciate about this game i think it's a really cool idea i would want a sequel oddly enough like i think that there's enough to this idea of like shopkeeper first adventurer second that i would like to see that Mm -hmm. explored in some way elsewhere yeah there's um there's been a bunch of dlc that they've announced that they've announced and released and it's all been free so far um so, so there's like some extra stuff that they've added like new mini bosses and new zones and areas and like weird stuff that can materialize in the dungeons um so like i'm coming into it i think one DLC deep, so like I I am coming into this game like with some added stuff than what was in the original mm-hmm. release, which like I don't I can't speak to it because I don't know what's new and what's not. Um, but what is in the game currently, I think I think is fun. But it seems at least based on the the conversations I've seen the developers have with the community, like it seems like they are focused on adding stuff to this game to make it deeper uh, over time. Mm. So hopefully, hopefully that works out. What I will say to you, like, I don't know if I'd recommend checking this game out again. Cause like if you tried it and then bounce off of it, like I don't think there's anything here that's like really going to bring you back in. Yeah. But the thing that clicked for me was when I started to unlock the armor and weapon pieces that I was like striving towards getting. Um, And once, I upgraded the shop for the first time and that enabled some new mechanics. Um, once once the shop mechanics start to get a little bit deeper, like they start to include um, thieves who can come in and try and steal your stuff and then you have to like chase mm. them and like beat the shit out of them before they can get out of your store so you can get your items back. Wow. Um, they also add like extremely wealthy people who will pay whatever price possible. So like as soon as you see one of them come in, you just like 
like kind of do a mad dash all your items and jack up the price by like a thousand gold just to like see if they'll buy it and uh there is some decor stuff that starts to come into play also where like you can put some things around your shop that might like increase it might increase the chance that a customer will tip you for your purchase so you can like start to get like 10 20 30 percent on everything that you're selling and that kind of like min maxi stuff i i find really fascinating um so the store is getting a little bit deeper and now that i have this ability to take orders and like go into the dungeon specifically seeking out certain kinds of items i think is really interesting and i'm excited to see how that kind of plays out yeah i needed some drama so that's why i invited the witch to the town because i'm like there's got to be a story here you know like Uh this town doesn't seem especially fantastical so i want to invite a witch over um and she just sold potions. Yeah. She sells potions and enchantments. I So I, I have her. I have the blacksmith. There's another guy uh, who opens a shop called Le Retelier, uh, which is like kind I of... I love that. It's kind of like the perfect most optimized version of your store uh, wherein he sells everything that you have ever picked up and sold in your store. Uh, He has everything on sale. So like if you need a very specific item to upgrade something, like you could just go buy it from him, but he marks up the price by like 120%. But he sells literally everything. Uh, You just have to pay a lot to get it. And then I also just unlocked uh, another store called The Hawker, who is a dude who builds uh, like strange artifacts and runes and stuff that you can put around your shop to like increase uh, customer happiness and See, satisfaction and stuff this is all getting me excited i i feel like this game because i'm i think that there's a decent parallel like obviously i think zelda legend of zelda like the first one is the clearest influence for the dungeon stuff yeah but i thought they could have adopted a lot of stardew valley into this i game was literally like just it. about to mention stardew yeah valley. yes like i feel like having like they, i don't expect them to go into like you know the dramatic backstories you get in the in the support scenes with the residents of stardew valley yeah the like friday night lights-esque football drama of alex's dreams like, yeah i don't yeah, expect yeah. that in moonlighter but i just feel like there could be something there and and stardew valley i think is a fair comparison because there literally is the dungeon crawling elements that are kind of there if you want them yeah in the cave uh and so much of the game is that daily routine of like what should i plant like what should i sell like that game got its hooks into me in that way a lot i think me what i look for in a game i stayed because of all the story stuff Um, that's kind of like the surprise of that game is that that's such a huge element Mm -hmm. but i think that there was enough there was enough customization there and enough story there that kept me going so i think i think those are the two things that like i kind of wish were more in this game it it was cool inviting the witch to town and i think that like i would probably enjoy it more but i don't think I, i would invest in it the same way you are yeah i do i am happy i checked it out though you know, because this is like if if this is a case where I hadn't played it yet, I would absolutely check it out based on what you're saying here. But, yeah. you know, not every game is going to land for me. That's just how it is. We're all subjective human beings. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. The, the reason I, I wanted to bring it up specifically is just like I have seen pretty much nothing but negative discussion wow. about this game. Um, But I have talked to a couple people who have recommended it to me and were like, you should check it out. It's worth noting that I played this at PAX a couple of years ago before it came out. This was like the game that all of my friends and I, after playing it at packs were like wow so excited for this to come out and then none of us ended up buying it so i just texted everyone this morning i was like hi i played moonlighter for eight hours yesterday and we should all get it um <laughs> but uh, that's so fun yeah but, but pretty much like when it came out all of the negative reviews kind of prevented all of us from ever checking it out it was like oh that's kind of a bummer that the game isn't great but um now that i played it on game pass thank god for game pass i can't sing the praises of game pass enough on this podcast but now that i played it on game pass I'm glad I'm glad that I have it on Switch. Well, it's cool that Game Pass lets you check things out, you know, and then then you can choose to invest more in it or not. 
Um, right. I, I feel like I, I also really enjoyed Game Pass at your house, and I think that the the idea of streaming games to get rid of the pay barrier, as we've often discussed, you know, mm-hmm. like the the ability to play games without having to pay $60, you know, by default, which is insane. Like that's so I can barely do that. And like, you know, it's it's yeah, it's it. there's a like partially why we talk about a lot of indie stuff on the show is because it's less than $60 to be completely frank. I mean, yeah. it's also where the my economics of, is. The economics of games are like so fucked because like $60 is a lot of money to spend on a video game. But yeah. it also is like not even close to as much as they need to be charging to recoup the cost right. of making the game. So I think what I worry about with Game Pass is like I wish I knew more about like I just worry I'm like who is this negatively impacting you know right like I don't assume it is but like I'm just like God this feels so much better for the consumer I feel like what is going on before I like sing its praises you Mm -hmm. know that's kind of where I'm at. Right now, it's in kind of a movie pass situation for me where I'm like, I feel like I, I need to take advantage of it while it exists, you know? Yeah. Um, and then eventually it'll go away or change and, and not be worth it anymore. And then like, that's when I'll bail on it, which is like kind of a shitty outlook. But I don't know. I like it enough at the moment that I'm yeah. going to keep using it. I think that there is a way, hopefully, to make like to to create a reality where games can be checked out for for well, not for free but like for you know a reasonable subscription price and then yeah. if you want one you go and buy it yeah. you know honestly like, that's one of the things that, that has me excited about Stadia uh one of the I, I think like there's some really interesting stuff going on with Google Stadia you know I like is it going to work as well as they have said in all of their announcements I'm not really sure but the stuff that excites me is like the you can click on a link and then it'll take you right into a specific piece of a game so you can try it out before you buy it like the developers can say okay once you click this link you have like 14 15 minutes to like check out this specific like vertical slice of the game to see if you like it um, and then you buy it like bringing back the game demo by way of like a link I can share with somebody in Facebook Messenger is a wild idea and and I'm really interested to see how that plays out i feel like that is is kind of getting closer to what you and i want in terms of like yeah both, for sure both valuing a game at at a place that makes sense for for the developers and also like is great for the consumer um well i think it's like with movies i mean i and even tv shows you know we streaming is the default and then if you like really love a movie you might buy it on blu-ray you know right, what i mean yeah. like uh, at least that's how i operate when you brought up game demos though i just got a flashback of this like PlayStation one disc that somehow everyone had that had Prap of the rappers first level, as well as like a snowboarding game. And, uh, uh, I think like a star Wars fighting game. Do you ever play that? I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, uh, I wish th- I was hoping this was going to land more strongly. I know. Well, <laughs> the thing is I had thing. a friend, a uh, mutual friend of ours who had pretty much like every PlayStation one and PlayStation two game demo disc that was like available. And we would just, like hang out at his house and try like every game um yeah it was the best that was such an interesting time because they always came with playstation magazine i believe which he had a subscription to my dad had to endure such hardship because i would just replay the first level of prep of the rapper over and over (laughs) again uh yeah and I had a Prap of the Rapper poster that came with the disc. This That's is awesome. like seven-year-old Steven. Yeah, uh, I love that. What a strange game. Yeah, yeah. interesting that this kind of became a discussion about the merit of Game Pass. And I think that Moonlighter is a great example of a game that like would probably have done better on Game Pass because like, the people who, yeah. you know, it's not hyped up in this way. Like, this is going to be the indie game. And then it comes out and everyone 
bashes it. Like it can just exist and the audience will find it. Uh, right. You know, and there's not like any kind of negative. I mean, I'm sure there'll still be mixed reviews, but, you know, it's not it's not hyped up in the same way. Like, you know, uh, before streaming, going to Blockbuster and there's like four walls of three movies, like a mm-hmm. million copies of, you know, The Matrix or whatever. And then there's yeah. like, in the back, like a weird 80s horror bin, like <laughs> it's a cobweb in it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really curious about what the future of that is. I have been kind of hesitant throughout the history of this show about like accepting game pass as the future but i think that there's a lot of merit to getting rid of the paywall and um having the ability to to be to take more risks when you're checking out stuff yeah Um, i mean there's been some discussion about the economics of it on the indie developer side where like not only is microsoft kind of injecting some money into the developers to kind of uh, allow them to finish the game that they want to make but also like having a set amount of like absolutely 100 percent confirmed income from a game because you accepted the game pass deal like works out economically for some indie developers yeah that's true Where, like they they now have the support structure they need to like make the thing that they want um and and i've seen that kind of echoed a couple times um similarly with with the epic game store which like has a whole flurry of of I, I would say dumb controversy around it but like also whenever game developers take the epic game store deal they're always just like yeah epic's been fucking awesome about supporting us financially and and with like publishing and everything we need uh so like why wouldn't you take that deal if it exists yeah which like anything anything to make indie developers like have a kind of safer bed of flowers to land on i i feel good about personally 1000 percent. yeah i totally agree yeah um anyway should we move on i feel like that was that was a good meaty discussion about uh a yeah. video game and where that it was the from. least silly we've ever been i feel <laughs> yeah it absolutely probably is. for the for the because i feel like we've been especially silly lately so uh, don't worry, my segment's coming up next. Yeah. And you know it's going to be silly. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll that find was awful. Out. We'll find out. Cool. Yeah, yeah let's take a break. And then I'm going to talk about actually something not too dissimilar from Game Pass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting point. That might actually turn <laughs> into an built. interesting. Okay. Well, let's just get to it. Goodbye, everyone. I can't wait for it. It's going to be silly. Goodbye. Brendan, we're back. Yes. And I have something Game Pass related to bring up that I think I can make a case for it being Game Pass related, that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hit me. <laughs> so uh, like we touched on last episode, uh, Nintendo just added the Super Nintendo library to the Switch for Switch Online users. So uh, they've added a bunch of games to Super Nintendo that are kind of in like a browsable streaming service-esque presentation um i didn't really think to compare the two until i started using it because i hadn't previously done that with the nes library they have up but in the last direct they announced that you can now get the available snes library and they have a lot of really good stuff yeah um, it's pretty much like a best of list like it's almost as if you bought the super nintendo classic um which is not a thing that i ever expected them to do on switch like to take the snes classic idea and then put it on there um i really thought they were just going to sell all those games individually so i'm glad to see them show up in this form oh yeah because i mean all these games still sell for full price yeah like to to get super mario world super metroid Yoshi's Island, which I will be talking about. Yeah. Uh, All in one place is unreal. Oh, and of course, Super Tennis. You can't forget that, Uh, which is somehow the funniest game in the world to me, but that's a whole other episode. (laughs) Um, So Yoshi's Island. Uh, This is technically Super Mario World 2. It is the sequel to Super Mario World, the same way that Wario Land was secretly Super Mario Land 3. Right. I don't know if you knew that. Yes. 
So th- both cases are Nintendo showcasing their ability to make sequels that are just a completely different idea. Yeah. I think Majora's Mask is another good example of that, where they have like critical and commercial success with a with the foundation of an idea. And then they're like, but what if what if, you know, the sky was actually the ground or whatever? You know, yeah. they completely flip it. I In actually case- just had a conversation with somebody about this recently about this idea with Nintendo and and the way I compared it was um, uh, until recently I'm not actually sure what's going on with 2019 but I think the 2018 best restaurant in the world was in New York it's around like Flatiron Um, and as soon as they clinched that that best restaurant in the world title like they officially like got the award they shut the entire restaurant down and they were like we're gonna redesign the entire inside we're gonna get an entirely new menu we're gonna change literally everything about this restaurant we're gonna start from the beginning again because they they had hit the peak they were like let's just start from scratch and see if we can do it again uh which is kind of a cool idea and nintendo does that frequently with their titles yeah i truly think that's the way to stay creative you know because i think that i mean i think and then there's also a balance like i think again for the millionth time bring up breath of the wild that game feels like a different game than zelda but it still retains the zelda identity yes not even just in terms of it like having link and zelda in it but like the character of the game and what you want in that series is still there but it is like the foundation foundation is different yeah um, without getting too like metaphysical about it but like the essence of zelda is so prevalent in that game even though it plays almost completely differently than everything else in that franchise yeah so super mario world is like in some ways the definitive nintendo game i mean it's it's the it's the definitive mario game yeah it, it has set the standard for basically every platforming game since i mean i guess people also bring up mario land or not mario land but super mario 3 on the nes is like another mm-hmm. example of that but super mario world was the game that introduced you know the the overworld map Mm -hmm. the sort of like secret levels you can unlock like the themes and all that like that uh both super mario world and mario 64 that generation of games is everyone just trying to make that game yeah so what are the people who made that game do they make yoshi's island (laughs) of course as one would yeah uh, so Yoshi was introduced in Super Mario World as Mario's like steed, basically. Not really given much personality, sadly. So I think it's cool that they chose to make Yoshi the starring character, or rather, like a whole village of Yoshis. So there's yeah. a bunch of Yoshis. The idea, for those unfamiliar uh, who need or who need a refresher, it did come out in 1995. The game begins Yoshi's Island, Super Mario World 2. The game begins with Baby Mario crying in the woods. And a bunch of Yoshis show up and decide that they're going to bring Mario back to wherever they're from. Yeah. And it it's not directly implied like how Mario got lost, unless I missed that. You know, I think it's just he's in the woods one day. I think so, too. You and I had had like a very brief conversation about this. And, and I think that there's there's a, like a I don't I don't want to say a dark path, but there is like a narrative path that you can kind of branch out from this game, because if this is this is technically, you know, it's a sequel in, in release date, but it is a prequel to I, I would argue maybe every other Mario game. Right. Yeah. Where like this kind of implies that Mario almost almost in a in a Christ like way appeared <laughs> appeared in the Mushroom Kingdom 
uh, and and was like destined to become the Mario that we know now. Like the Mushroom Kingdom, almost kind of like Anakin Skywalker actually might even be a better comparison. Um, just like materialized as a necessity in the Mushroom Kingdom to bring balance to it uh, in some mm. way. Where like I guess I guess like the it knew somehow. Like, if you can imagine the Mushroom Kingdom as, like, a living, breathing place, almost like Ego the Living Planet, a lot of connections here, but I, trust me, they all make sense. Like, <laughs> it knew that, that... We've gone from the Bible to the Star Wars prequels real quick. <laughs> yeah, and, and now we're in, like, deep Marvel lore. Um, but it's almost as though the Mushroom Kingdom knew that something like Bowser would appear and that it needed a force for good equal and opposite to it um, in a really strange way. So, like, what I guess the 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 trajectory of mario is is that he appeared and luigi because technically i guess luigi is also in these games um but he appeared in the mushroom kingdom the yoshis returned him to our world i guess uh where he then grew to a certain age where he eventually returned back into the mushroom kingdom at the age that he needed to be to save it honestly the more i talk about this the more it reminds me of christ <laughs> like it's like there's that whole 30 year gap where you don't know what jesus was up to like that's kind of what was happening with mario i guess in a strange way <laughs> We're like he grew and became yeah, a plumber. What's we want Teen Mario? Enough of this baby and adult Mario. Give me Teen Mario. Mario. Yeah, what happened? In, what happened in the interim? Kind of fascinating. And and then you get into like almost a Narnia esque thing where like he continues to return to the Mushroom Kingdom over and over again when it needs him uh, and not when he needs it. I guess. Uh, but now he lives there permanently. I suppose uh, he is now the king of the Mushroom Kingdom. I would argue. Um, very interesting. Uh, Thank you for letting me go on that tangent. I just needed to well, talk it out. I was digesting a lot of that. I think you also just realized how much media draws influence from Bible stories. One. Yes. <laughs> Second, I am Do you remember that part where Cool Hand Luke ate all the eggs? I don't know what that means, Brendan. Oh, wow. Okay, that, that's, that's <laughs> for that? the film studies majors out there. Oh, okay. I was only a film studies minor, excuse me. Oh, okay. I'm re-watching the Yoshi's Island opening cutscene. Uh-huh. So I have a bit more intel for you that might uh, aid your, your research here. Please, please tell me. It begins, a stork hurries across the dusky pre-dawn sky. Mm -hmm. In his bill, he supports a pair of twins. So a stork from nowhere is carrying baby Mario and baby Luigi uh -huh. in the sky. Yeah. Uh, Kamek shows up and screams, the babies are mine. So Whoa. somewhere someone had the foresight that like Mario and Luigi were going to be the end of Bowser because Kamek is like Bowser's court wizard, basically. Yeah. Now we're getting into Lord of the Rings territory as though Sauron has foreseen Frodo carrying the ring to Mordor. Yeah. So Kamek charges on a broomstick, charges into the stork, successfully kidnaps baby Luigi, which I completely forgot about. Wow. So Luigi is kidnapped in infancy. That's how his life begins. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just add. Adding to the shadow of Mario and the stork drops baby Mario onto Yoshi's Island, uh, which begins the adventure of the Yoshis who decide to help baby Mario. Jesus. Uh, I'm trying to find that moment. I think there was a map. Looks at the, yeah, it looks like there's a map. Yeah, we won't get too into this, but that's that's the origin of Yoshi's Island. <laughs> Yoshi, who is treated like an actual horse in Super Mario World 1, is like the hero. Uh, the reason Mario is the person he is today would be nothing without Yoshi. Right. Yoshi is Samwise. This is wild. This is like, this kind of flies in the face of everything that I wrote about in the first issue of our newsletter about what happens if you read too far into the Pokedex and like how that yeah. kind of like 
eliminates the joy from from the Pokemon world the more you read into it. Yeah. But this might actually also be kind of the thesis of that essay, wherein the more you dig into it, the more appreciation you have for it. Where like I'm smiling ear to ear just thinking about this wild, wild lore that is like yeah. unintentionally set up in this game. Not to mention that it's not even just Yoshi, it's a it's a nation of Yoshis. Yes. Every Yoshi helps Baby Mario. They all have like a like like a track field pass off system. And that's how it works. Every level you're a different color Yoshi. Yeah. Uh and then at the end of the level they pass off Baby Mario to the next Yoshi. Yeah. And keep going. Yeah, so there's a lot there's a lot to narratively unpack here. I knew we were gonna have fun with that. I didn't realize how biblical it was going to get how moses-esque mario truly is yeah (laughs) Um, it's incredible yeah so that's uh (laughs) it's also like again yoshi is treated like a horse they have a saddle in super mario world one right and they're basically mario's parent Mario has like dozens of Yoshi parents. This is and Luigi's kidnapped, and that's not the inciting event. No one cares. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> no one knows. That's kind of no one, one of the wilder aspects of this whole thing is like <laughs> yeah. it kind of it really explains a lot about Luigi's whole vibe and like why he's yeah. a little bit. I'm gonna use the word he's a little wimpy. You know, that's like kind of his whole shtick sure. is that he's he's a little bit of a scaredy cat. He's a coward. But like obviously, yeah. like how could you not be? Once you're captured by you're kidnapped, a glasses wearing Kamek. mage, you know? And then if we're following the Mario timeline too, Kamek then just goes on to like ruin every Mario party. Like he went from he went from like following a prophetic vision to kidnap two infants mm-hmm. to like being like, you owe me coins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, like he's the guy who like flips over the, the game of risk that's been going on too long. Right. Yeah. What a change. <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, now that so we're done get, talking about the deep lore of, of Yoshi's Island, yeah, can you tell yeah, me yeah, why you like Yoshi's this game Island. so much? Oh, yeah. Well, like like we touched on before, it's it's a pinnacle example of Nintendo sequels, of them taking a foundational idea and like exploring like an inverted version of it almost, mm-hmm. literally to the point where you're playing as Yoshi. And it's just such a creative and weird game. Uh, it, it was a formative experience for me in a lot of ways. I mean, this came out when I was very young. Yeah. I think it came out 95 so i was actually five wow yeah my sister was 10 we played this a lot growing up and it has this we were talking about this i think off the show but everything is so cute and like friendly looking yeah and there's this like very strong undercurrent of danger around every corner yeah i think it's summed up by one of the one of the earliest levels is this like idyllic field where there's like happy music playing and there are chain shops in the background that like lunge into the foreground mm-hmm. and like create a deep pit. Yeah. <laughs> that like it's terrifying. The game also uh it looks amazing. Like it has aged so well. The art direction of this game is unbelievably good. Yeah. I think like games, especially indie games that come out, like are still trying to look like this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything about it is just beautiful. And there's a lot of experimentation with 3D perspective on the Super Nintendo. You know, a lot of things are jumping from the background to the foreground. Uh, there's in the castle, like walls will fall on you and they look like they're 3D rendered. Yeah, um, it's so impressive. And so while Super Mario World focuses on like platforming and like a lot of that game is like about building up velocity. Yeah. And 
a weird way. Yoshi's Island is all about like the environment and uncovering secrets and like exploring. Yeah. In in almost like a Banjo Kazooie way, where like there's there's a secret around every corner in this game. There's a switch to hit or you know some kind of like literal question mark cloud to throw an egg at. <laughs> uh, for those unfamiliar, it plays a lot like Mario, but it's on a very different rhythm. Yoshi does the signature jump where they scurry their legs. A little bit of a, a flutter. Higher. Yeah. yeah, there's a kind of a floaty aspect to a lot of the controls. There's like a bit of a delay in that way. It does feel like you're carrying someone through the mm-hmm. whole game. Yeah. And the way they treat health is very interesting where when you get hit, baby Mario starts crying, which I think that's the major like point of tension with this game is like how anxiety inducing <laughs> baby Mario is when th- when you get hit. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's an alarm that goes off. I feel like any parent must have PTSD when this game is in the background. Mm. It's like yeah. it really does strike that like sense of parental urgency like protect your kid yeah it is um, legitimately frightening yeah Yeah. so the way health works is that you have a a i think it's it starts at 10 seconds and you can find stars that add i think up to 30 seconds so that you have that amount of time to get mario back and they he floats around in a bubble Mm -hmm. sometimes if you just fall into lava or fall off it's just like an instant death kind of thing yeah but most of the time it's mario crying until you can get them back uh you can throw an egg at them and that will bring them closer so there are some tricks there it's a really creative way to treat the health system, um, especially in such a found like Mario has always been up until that point, like your big Mario and then your little Mario and then you die. Yeah, this is actually extremely similar, honestly, where it's like you have one hit that you can take and then you can take a second hit and then you're dead. But in this case, there's like a kind of little mini mechanic involved with getting the, the quote unquote big mushroom back. If you take that first. Right. Hit. Although I think if you take a se- if you take a hit, well, baby Mario is floating around and crying you just get stunned for a second mm. you get back up it isn't until the timer runs out that you're like officially gone and yeah all of Kamek's minions very like wizard of oz-esque the kind of the flying monkeys they all come and capture Baby i was Mario. gonna i was gonna compare this to tim burton's wizard of oz uh, not tim burton's was tim burton's alice in wonderland specifically in terms of like the the dark whimsy that's happening um yeah th- there's a lot of that so the and, and the, it just it's such a strange and beautiful game so again a lot of it is about secrets you you go down you know you go down the classic mario pipes but you can also just find parts of the level that you can go into yeah yoshi can turn into like vehicles uh you find things where uh you can turn into like planes and like a mole that like digs around in sand Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of like mini games within the game and the way it works is that uh, you can also ground pound and there are certain enemies like Shy Guys. I think this game is also the game that introduced Shy Guys too, uh, just for the record, in case you're wondering when Shy Guys showed up. Super Mario maybe, 2. Oh, you know what? You're absolutely right. I take it back. Shy Guy was w- around way longer than the other Shy Guy's an old, uh, more, more like Shy Man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Shy Guy, shut up. I'm Shy Man. <laughs> Ew, I just imagine like a fully grown man with a shy guy mask on. That's like a frightening image. That's um that that's faceless from Spirited Away. They do, yeah, they do look like uh uh no face. Yeah. The, uh uh <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was like, uh uh Such anyway, a terrifying thing. I love that movie so much. Yes. <laughs> My friends and I used to reenact the scene where he eats the frog. Like, uh uh, gold for me? <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler uh, for Act One of Spirit Away. Yes. Um, 
But yeah, so you can eat shag eyes to make eggs and then like different colored eggs can do different things. It's, it's really, there's so much new here that wasn't even like alluded to in, in Super Mario World. And I just love it. Like the music is great. Like it, it's it's a really unique platformer. There are really interesting boss fights where like Kamek will sprinkle again Wizard of Oz esque magic on an enemy, and they'll become they'll Gigantamax. You fight like a big <laughs> version of one of the common enemies. Uh-huh. Uh, and giant chain chomp. I think everything is like Banjo Kazooie. All the mechanics and all the like things you can collect. Because every level, there's red coins, sunflowers, and uh, stars to collect. Yeah. And if you get everything, you get uh, 100. Every level is like ranked in that way. Right. And all those mechanics are designed to have you see all of the level. And the game is built to be like a visually interesting experience. The music is great. Uh, the visuals are great. And like, there's some interesting platforming. It's not as it's not as focused on that as Super Mario World was, but it's more about like overcoming the environment and like experiencing the environment and yeah. seeing this new place um it's really a really really cool and unique game one of my favorites of all time um it's hard to have a hot take on this game because like it's even though it was like kind of a weird follow-up to super mario world it's still heralded as like one of the best games ever yeah but i'm curious if it um, if it was as well received when it came out from the people who wanted more like classic mario world you know what I yeah mean? I, I i think i think it's it's always the case that like if you wanted more of what you got, this would be like a very strange follow up. Yeah, but it's such a it's such a cool game. It's so fun and interesting. Um, again, foundational experience for for what I like in games and like just how I am. I think. <laughs> <laughs> like I love this kind of slightly off but like aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. kind of look to the art style. I used to draw the like weird uh monsters that came out of the lava with the big eyebrows oh yeah them all the time yeah yeah it's just it's just the best uh, i would highly recommend playing it if you haven't it has aged super well um it there's really nothing clunky about it uh i have nothing really bad to say the only thing that would kind of be a point of tension is like how much baby mario stresses you out because <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a very zen experience until that happens right yeah but i guess it just makes me a little curious of like because Yoshi has become the kid-friendly series, like this is still a kid-friendly game, but it has challenge to it and it has character to it. Right. So, like, I wonder if that could ever come back for the Yoshi series because I feel like what I I only played the Woolly World demo, but it just felt like real, real general audience. Yeah. Which is fine. Again, like, not every game needs to be made for a 29-year-old Steven. Like, mm-hmm. I, trust me, I get that. There needs to be games for, for really a really young audience, and that's what Yoshi's become, which is awesome. Yeah, totally. But I also played this game when I was five, and I loved it. So, like, I don't think you have to make it, like, so kind of, like, basic, if you will. Yeah. You know, like, a lot of Woolly World is, like, go here and, and hit this button. And, like, it's beautiful looking, but that's, like, all that's really happening. Mm-hmm. So I kind of hope that there is place for because i think what yoshi's island is here alongside mario is yoshi taking the spotlight from mario for a bit if they want the series to coexist i think yoshi could be the series where they do more experimental stuff with it yeah while mario might hit you know more of the the expected uh foundations that being said odyssey was an incredible entry in the series they're clearly doing new stuff with mario today so like you know I don't know. I just I just wonder if there's room for a game like this to come back because I, I I don't I have not played a game like this in quite a while. Yeah. No. I I know what you're talking about. Um. And honestly, to to, to be uh completely frank, like I love 
let me put a overlay on this. I love Odyssey. Odyssey, I think, is an incredible Mario game. It's one of my favorites, maybe my favorite. Um, but it is very much what I expected from Mario. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yes, there's a lot of really cool new inventive stuff happening, but it is still working within the same framework that that was kind of established in Mario 64, right? Where, like, you're going into a world, quote unquote, um, and inside of that world are mechanics that only exist within that world, and they're explored completely fully and, and super well-realized and, and wonderful and inventive. But the thing that Mario got away from was the stuff that I loved in Sunshine and in Galaxy, where it's like there is an overarching, interesting new mechanic happening here. Um, that is really like kind of driving a lot of the uh, driving a lot of that inventiveness and a lot of the new mechanics. Um, so you had flood in in sunshine, and you had uh, the idea of playing around with gravity in uh, Galaxy One and Two. Um, I think it could be argued that Cappy maybe is that mechanic in Odyssey, but it really just serves as an extension of like jumping, like doing more interesting jumps yeah. than you were already doing. Um, no, you're right. You're right. And that's not that's not to detract the game. That's not to detract from that game. But I do think uh bouncing off that point, Yoshi's Island was a new foundation they built. That's exactly um, the point that I wanted to make. Yeah. You know, is like Yoshi's yeah. Island is so different. You know, like yes, you, the only similarity really is that you can jump and that it is a side yeah, scroller. Yeah. Like that is really it. And and to to make that game and fit it into the the pantheon of Mario games to say this is this is a proper sequel to a Mario game and all of these differences don't matter. Like it is still part of the same franchise. I think is really bold and cool. Um, and the kind of stuff that I think really like set Nintendo up to have this really high expectation about every game that they release that is first party from that point on. Yeah, I think honestly, now that we're talking about it, the closest the closest I can link a follow up game to Yoshi's Island that like I think built upon the foundation of this game is Banjo Kazooie because that game yeah. is all about like first of all another kind of oddly uh wizard of oz kind of dark dark child fantasy yeah. going on a lot of character in that game and that game it is a platformer there's a lot of platforming in it but it's it's all about finding secrets it's about collecting items in an environment that is designed for you to explore it and overcome obstacles yeah just like yoshi's island 2 you occasionally can like change your form mm -hmm. uh, you can fly around on kazooie and like I, I just think that there it's a really unique subgenre because I think a lot of platformers now, Celeste being I think like a pinnacle two D platformer. I think borrows a, a lot from like Super Meat Boy and and you know a lot from the Mario series, obviously. Yeah. But that game is like zeroed in on being a platformer and being like an obstacle overcomer, right? Yeah. Um, but there hasn't really been a platformer that is that is narrative in this way. Celeste has a beautiful narrative. That is why it was my favorite game of 2018 and one of my favorite games of all time. But like what Yoshi's Island does and what Banjo-Kazooie does as well is instill this feeling of adventure through the environment that is designed for you to experience uh, that game is centered around the idea that you're going to backtrack and look around every corner mm -hmm. kind of like breath of the wild in that way i don't think those games are anything like breath of the wild but that idea that there is a world to experience and that a lot of the story and a lot of the intrigue is in the environment i i just love that i think that is so cool and yeah I think Yoshi's Island is a foundation that is set that few have built upon. And I would love to see kind of other games follow in this like weird, weird place. I love it. Yeah. I also think there's something before we move on from this, uh, there's something to be said for the fact that this is a game that is now available 
to everyone who has Nintendo Switch online. Um, yeah. The fact that this is, you know, included in a bundle of like about 20 other games that we could also go this in depth about how great they are uh, is really, yeah. really amazing. Especially considering there were, it's kind of like an open secret um, that Nintendo is going to raise the price or have have a second tier of Nintendo Switch online that is going to include something else. Um, and everybody expected this to be that thing that was going to increase the price. It makes me wonder what is next for Switch online because like if the base tier of of online comes with the NES library and the Super Nintendo library that like have the potential to get like an increased amount of titles over time what is that second tier is that going to be N64 games and and maybe Game Boy games or DS games or things like that taking the idea of the virtual console and making it kind of a subscription service instead of a like you know buy what you want kind of pay-per-view situation uh, I think is really interesting it's a really interesting direction for Nintendo to take their back catalog a thing that they have been like notoriously keeping close to the best for a very long time and you know charging full price for everything to say like you can get this upgraded tier of switch online but it's going to come with like perfect dark and mario 64 and you know maybe they'll do that deal with banjo kazooie to get it on there uh now that you know they have this kind of like nice relationship with microsoft and banjo kazooie are in uh smash now like it it seems like we're kind of headed in that direction where that is that is the potential future for switch online and like i i mentioned in the last episode but adding the super nintendo games really does make that 20 dollars a year price tag worth it for me um and i would shell out another five to ten if that also included the a collection of N64 games and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I bought a Game Boy Advance SP, one of the five that are left to have <laughs> the ability to play uh, like my Game Boy Advance games. Yeah. Because a lot of them are really good ports of Super Nintendo games that I don't have. Right. So like I have Link to the Past and Yoshi's Island on Game Boy Advance. I refuse, like as, as much as I love old games, I don't want to ever play something without a backlight. That's why I'm like, okay, I have a 3DS yeah. and an SP. That's all I need to play everything from all those libraries. Yeah. It's great. I recommend doing that if you're like me and you like having physical copies of things you love i sure do still Um, have my sp yeah yeah as honestly one of my favorite designs it's a bit small because it was made for 2001 steven who god he loves ska um but uh (laughs) but uh it's a great it's a great design it was one of the coolest designs that game boy has had uh or that handheld nintendo systems have had totally you're holding one right now what's up i thought you were holding one and it's your phone I thought you oh, just my, like my nonchalantly pulled out an SP and like that was so fucking cool. That would be amazing. I could, do it, though. I could do that with my Vita. I have my Vita right here. It's always on hand. Where's my SP? Here it is. Check it out. This is good audio. <laughs> my favorite segment on Into the Aether is when Steven and Brendan just pull out things from their dresser and, uh-huh. uh, and it's really good audio. Yes. But yeah, I think... Honestly, if Nintendo kind of made their own like retro Nintendo game Game Pass, I would be totally into that. I mean, I think that's that's it's kind of weird because I feel like it's a little bit of a bait and switch with like people were getting Nintendo online to play games online and hopefully have a better connection. And they're like, we're not going to give you that. But how about all of this? How about we add online multiplayer to Super Tennis? <laughs> Can we stream Super Tennis? It is so it's a nightmare. It's, I would love it's to. so bizarre. Wow, yeah, if they that. take that same idea and then apply it to an N64 thing and you can start to play n64 games like mario kart 64 and maybe goldeneye and all those kinds of games online yeah. that would be amazing i mean i played uh i played the original super mario kart with my friend andy 
online and it was amazing it was yeah really, it, that's a really hard one though that's a very hard mario it's Kart. a great game yeah. because they do this weird thing where every character has a special move unless you're playing as that character and you don't get one. yeah so <laughs> and luigi's special move is that he just every seven seconds gets the star that's his that's his thing uh-huh yeah it's it's great so it's luigi's revenge for being kidnapped by kamek and no one caring yeah like uh, i'll have to look up how yoshi's island ends for luigi <laughs> i think you just have to beat it <laughs> yeah um yeah we'll have to find out cool should we move on yeah let's move on yoshi's island cannot recommend enough if you haven't played it i think it's just as good today as it was when i was five yes foundational experience for young steve you make me want to play it again maybe i'll download it for my trip it's great. I just got to the level that's literally called Touch Fuzzy Get Dizzy. It's the infamous level where you get like uh-huh. actually high. Yep. But the music turns like and like you're all dizzy and your eyes are red. It's great. Yeah. Good times. Touch fuzzy get dizzy. Goodbye. Steven, we're back and we are returning to a video game uh that I talked about a couple episodes ago, and you and I have now since played a whole lot of together. We have. It's called Remnant from the Ashes. The game with two Runner titles. The ashes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a tale of two titles. <laughs> the, it, it feels surreal to talk about this game because it literally feels like a dream that you and I have and like hang out with our friends. Uh, by the way, shout out to everyone who has been coming to the streams. It's been so much fun. Yeah. We So we've been streaming on. pretty much this entire game. Uh, we we yeah. started streaming to get. So I, I played this on stream like when I first got it, uh, when I was playing it just to talk about it on the show. And then you picked it up after we talked about it. Um, and then we started streaming together from the beginning of your game. Um, and have since every stream alternated whose world we were in. We we switched uh, from your world to mine and then mine back to yours and yours back to mine uh, again as we continue to progress through the game, which is actually just serving to highlight how different the game can be between different people as the world generates itself uh, and as you start to get different bosses and different kinds of encounters, which is very, very cool. Yeah, this feels like the best way to play it, honestly. You it know? does, like, yeah, I, I agree. feel like this is, you know, because I, I think seeing the... If we're, we're talking about like what is, I guess you would say like what is the hook of a game, like you know Moonlight or like what is the thing that brings you back? Yeah. And like this game, if nothing else, I have to see what is next. This game is constantly throwing. It is. It is. It is the single piece of media that is composed entirely of left turns. But that is the <laughs> game. It is constantly taking left turns so that your only reality is unfoundational. It's like you're fa- you've are you been falling for so long that eventually you feel like you're in a fixed point in time and space because there's nothing around you to relate to. Yeah, for real. So let me let me do a quick like recap of, <laughs> recap, yeah, yeah. of what this game is and then I would like you to talk about or at least go in depth into what you were just referring to. Um, so for, yeah, for sure. people who either haven't watched the streams or didn't listen to the first episode where we talked about this uh just on a very high level remnant from the ashes is kind of like at its most basic form uh talked about on the internet as uh what if you put guns in dark souls essentially which is i think a little bit of of a simplistic way of talking about it but it is kind of a very simple and good talking point uh simultaneously like it is a game where you are going from quote-unquote bonfire to bonfire a la dark souls there are fog walls before every boss in an area that you have to traverse uh when you die you go back to whatever the most recent bonfire in this game is crystals you know there, there are analogs for everything uh you have essentially an estes yeah. flask which is like a set number of recharges for your health 
uh, that you can upgrade over time. Uh, in this game, it's dragon hearts or, or dragon They've even or gone as far as like copied the noise that the menu makes in Dark Souls where it goes like, oh, like, it has that yes. weird like yeah. ominous like thing. Like, th- like honestly, we talked about how the game like does not put its best foot forward. And like there are a lot of pieces of that with Dark Souls in particular that are just straight up derivative, like yeah. straight up. Yeah copy paste yeah. not even trying to hide it um on top of that there's this other layer of both like setting where at least when we talked about it it was very much like the last of us i would say red instead of green but it was like an overgrown earth um that was kind of like i, I would say held captive by like some kind of fantastical plant-based creatures um which is very interesting but i, I would say mechanically the most interesting hook of the game is that it's procedurally generated so every time you load the world it will change uh its dungeon structure um the way the uh environments are kind of like put together and pieced together uh and that also changes the bosses and the um i would say personalities maybe of the bosses the like the kind of voraciousness of the bosses um so you can you can get literally different mini bosses and different bosses um and different versions of those as well uh from playthrough to playthrough i saw a person online talking about how they had reached level 890 in this game and i was like i have no idea how you could play this single game for that long but now as i am nearing level 100 i'm starting to understand how you would get to that point so i think on a high level that's kind of what this game is all about or at least how it plays it is a dark souls game uh, that has a bunch of guns in it in which uh, they have built the game for online multiplayer and it randomly rolls different worlds every time you play it yeah so in that way it feels almost like a 3d environment version of almost a diablo where you're kind of exploring a dungeon until you find the exit and fighting a bunch of enemies Uh, also sometimes has a left for dead vibe like you have to survive in a like Mm -hmm. frantic corridor there's a lot there are so many things that it is evoking that the dark souls derivative stuff falls away pretty quickly yeah totally because this game is a spaceship earth tour of genre (laughs) and games yes and i think i think that my point of tension with how derivative it looked at first went away when i realized that i feel like it has to be a conscious choice to be honoring as many games as they are borrowing from yeah like it is a collage of like you you pointed out in the last stream that there are two bosses and weapon mods that are straight up from destiny like yes 100 just called that when you die this is the thing i can't get over that i bring up every time it happens <laughs> when you die you are given a you are dead screen similar to the you died in dark souls yeah and they throw a random quote at you about death from either Shakespeare, Nietzsche, Buddha, Napoleon, and Da Vinci, mm-hmm. which is so bizarre. It's like they just Googled like quotes about death and just put them in. Because yeah. like, what is the thematic link between Napoleon and Buddha? Like, please help me out here. Just at some point, they they said something about death and what they think about it is the only yeah. difference. And also, they they appear on screen and disappear so quickly that you can't. I have never read a whole quote. You cannot read yeah, them it, because they go by so it, quickly. Because the game loads it, so fast that like you don't have a chance they might just be snapple facts that they put da vinci at the end of you know like it doesn't it doesn't matter i have read the beginning of all of those quotes about a hundred times yeah it's always like life is a dream but death is not it's something like that yeah (laughs) i mean all all of those historical figures and religious figures have good quotes but i can't read them because the your dead screen is so fast which i think is actually good I'm glad that it yeah, it's great. It's a good problem to have that the game loads that quickly. It's just weird that they threw they're throwing Nietzsche at us. 
yeah. constantly. And yeah. I'm like, I, I can do without Nietzsche quotes when I'm losing. Thank you. <laughs> Especially when the bosses are named stuff like Stinky Feet. And then like I get Nietzsche thrown at me like, what is this? Yeah. And that's the thing. So I will say... As you said in the last episode, and as we kind of touched on here, the game does not give a good first impression. It feels like it is a, you know, someone wrote Fallout, Last of Us, and Dark Souls on a whiteboard, and then made this mm-hmm. like in a couple of nights the it doesn't really perform especially well in the beginning especially because the melee combat isn't like super satisfying right like, it's kind of hard to hit there's like a weird delay to it um and you're only given a melee weapon for the first like half hour uh not yeah. to mention the first thing you see are like every time you open the game like the textures don't load until like a beat after it reminds me of i made the mistake of getting dragon age inquisition on the 360 because mm-hmm. they released that game for ps4 and for 360 and and the, they, both generations yeah but the 360 copy was like it was not meant to be played on that system so it was like like things would load in like minutes after the scene <laughs> had started right that's actually kind of what prompted me to just to get the new generation of systems like i can't pretend that yeah this is I did the same thing with Assassin's Creed 4. Um, There was so much, yeah, there was so much texture pop in on the PS3 that uh, I ended up getting it again on PS4. But I have to say, uh, so when I got this game, I got it based on your recommendation. I thought it'd be fun to play together. What I saw you play looked interesting enough that I was curious at least. Right. And I knew you had had prepped me that it was going to be rough in the beginning. I didn't find it especially awful, but like- I do think a lot of that was alleviated by us playing together, definitely. Well, I played it on my own at first. So I, I got to at least, like halfway through the tutorial and then as soon as i got out into like the first open area like the first dungeon if you will that's when we started playing together yeah um i think also an awareness that it will get better eventually is definitely uh really helpful so i think what does the game do really well it does we've touched on this in the stream but the leveling system is very creative you throughout playing unlock traits that are all very specific and you can invest in whatever trait you want which leads to like very like very discrete levels of customization within your stats and a lot of the equipment you find might be like every time you get a critical hit you this happens so it's like okay Mm -hmm. do i want to invest in a trait that gives me a higher crit chance to unlock this other ability that is working harmoniously like with whatever my boots give me you know so right i haven't done a lot of that because like i'm going for kind of a straightforward like tanky build it's worth noting that we've grown very fond of our characters Thanks to chat kind of naming them and helping us give them backstories. Yeah. They named my character Howard based on your Ashle Chain stream where suddenly it's brought up that your character is named Howard and it's like, Howard? Yeah. (laughs) So I'm Howard the Hammer named after my weapon of choice and you're Calamity Jenny or CJ for short. Yeah, um, that has also helped the game, like going in with like it's like a fun backstory and kind of role playing a little bit. Yeah, our own strange lore that we're inserting into this game with its own strange lore. Yeah, 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 and uh, so and the gunplay is good. Like it, it plays well. Like once you get into the meat of the game, which is finding new areas, finding new stuff, and fighting bad guys with friends, it, it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. like it rules. It's it and it and that's what all plays well. And then the game. So so it starts to click like a couple bosses in. Yeah. But you're still in you're still fighting the root. You're still in like Last of Us Fallout kind of area. But I was into it. Like you kept telling me like it's going to get better and I was like no I'm into this. Then you meet like basically a, a spaceship pyramid falls down like in a city. Yeah. Like, in in a, in a grim dark post apocalyptic 
gray and red city. Yeah. 1970s sci-fi art spaceship falls abruptly into the ground. Yeah, it's called like the Crystal Cathedral or something like that. It's like it's like an invisible cloaked giant tower of a spaceship that you end up walking onto. That's just yeah, in the middle of this like bombed out overgrown city. And you're you're wearing armor that's like made of tires you found and like suddenly this like, <laughs> yeah. you know, this this spaceship shows up. This Mobius-esque spacecraft shows up. Mm-hmm. And of course you walk into it. The sky is like Twilight Princess geometric shapes kind of floating up. And you meet the Labyrinth Keeper. (laughs) Yep. Who who basically says there are a bunch of worlds and the roots are like a a multi-dimensional, multi-planetary threat. And the Labyrinth is the like area between areas that connects all the worlds. Mm-hmm. So suddenly you're given the ability to go to a new world, which is like straight up most Isley meets Mad Max. Yeah. Like it is like uh, desert. It looks like it was destroyed. There's a lot of like uh, Mad Max raiders with guns and like makeshift weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when the game starts to really get interesting. Yeah, they're all extremely irradiated. They're like mages that that use radiation yeah. as magic. Like it's fascinating. Yeah. And eventually you find another spaceship that has aliens in it, mm-hmm. like straight up aliens, like destiny aliens, in which you meet who we have nicknamed the bathtub space god, Yep, which is this four-armed space god that literally exits a bathtub and says like, this planet oh before that you do meet the root mother who gives you some lore about like how every planet or every like dimension has a guardian so you meet him and like he his planet that he rules is without a guardian and he asks you to steal a guardian's heart from another world right Um, that's when you and i were like all in and then the other world is it looks like morrowind from elder scrolls but the ground is tomato soup and you fight bugs that once were elves it's insane like the the genres that they throw at you in this game are all over the place it is it is like a jackson pollock painting of genre just thrown at you it feels Uh, nonsensical until you're embedded in it in which case it makes complete sense and is fascinating and great and then all of a sudden the 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 hook to me is like what other worlds are there yeah you know and so the game really gets going and honestly like it is heavily aided by playing with you and us streaming it and like I, we've had a lot of fun with chat because it's so ridiculous like we have a lot of fun you know talking about yeah, it as it happens right but it's a really fun game and like i think they really could have benefited from beginning with the labyrinth keeper having that be the opening cutscene mm. to plant the idea that like okay there are a bunch of other worlds this is one of them here we go you know yeah. Uh, the surprise is nice, but I feel like you spend so much time through the tutorial on just that, like Last of Us planet, that it, it it's misleading. Um, yeah. we're now on a planet that's like Pan's Labyrinth meets uh Kokiri Forest. Yeah, like it, it's so reminiscent <laughs> it's, it's of wild. the most recent God of War. It's it's like wild, uh, how how like high fantasy it has become all of a sudden. And that's what I mean by the Dark Soul derivativeness wears off because it's just it's just taking from everything and it's presenting in a way that like i feel like the conscious decision of this game was like how many settings can we explore Mm -hmm. you know in this in this kind of cooperative experience yeah and it's a lot of fun i I, i'd recommend it it's it's really a blast definitely play with a friend it's meant to be played multiplayer it's very hard if not impossible playing it alone yeah definitely but yeah, if if you i mean you're more familiar with this kind of genre than i am like would you say like for those out there who have enjoyed Destiny or other kind of cooperative third-person shooters so that they would enjoy this? 
I think so. I mean, it, it is really a situation in which um, the sum of its parts is is way greater than each of the individual things that it has taken from. Um, yeah. I, I have been consistently surprised by this game, like even down to the point where like you and I mentioned before we started the new world that we jumped into last night. We were like, so what are, like place your bets? Like, what do you think? And you and I were like, I don't know, like we haven't seen an ice world yet. Like we saw like two kind of like apocalyptic places. There's like a desert world. Like it only weirdly makes sense that there'd be an ice world next. Um, and then we went to that like high fantasy, like God of War and, and like kind of Elder Scrolls adjacent place. Uh, whereas I would have considered the last place that we had been on to be high fantasy the like kind of uh the like bug elf land uh also felt high fantasy this feels high fantasy in a completely yeah. different way now um and you yeah. mentioned even as we were playing it that like it would be so easy for these to just feel like reskinned like places but instead they feel like fully well-realized worlds with their own lore and like interesting shit like as soon as we ended up on that planet we had to like aid a rebellious force uh in like fighting off who they call the immortal ones like it just like suddenly we got so wrapped up in in the specific story of this world it does feel strangely a lot like the most recent god of war in that way where you're jumping between realms in in viking lore and each of those realms has their own like set of issues that they have to deal with and you're just kind of and like oddly, traveling between them, kind of unhooked from time and space. Oddly enough, too, somehow it also reminds me of Kingdom Hearts, where like totally. there is this sense of like, this should all be clashing. Why is this working? Yeah. And and every world seems to have like a different design. Like the Mad Max world is a lot of like it feels like you're playing a, a modern shooter. Like there's a lot of buildings and a lot of open areas, but you kind of have to be on the run a lot. Um, right. You can't really stay in one place. And that way it also we were comparing it to Resident Evil 4. Mm-hmm. Uh the the bug planet was my favorite initially because there was a lot of like journals you could find that would detail like what the residents there were doing before everything kind of went to shit and then suddenly it clicked i'm like this is a last of us situation but on this fantasy planet so Mm -hmm. like all these settings are dealing with this threat in however they would deal with it right I find that really fascinating and it really is like the 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 appeal of this game is sort of like what's going to happen next in like the simplest way but it does that very well and it feels intentional. Yeah. It's also like very silly. Like it's it's hard to not like get swept up in just like how over the top it is. Yeah. It's hard for me to really tell like how much more I'm enjoying it because we are playing it together and because like our friends are watching us play it, but it's doing something right. And it's doing something right that is independent of all the things it is borrowing from, which is the weirdest thing about it. Yeah. It is like such a hodgepodge of ideas and genre and mechanics Mm -hmm. that it somehow through alchemy has found its own identity. I don't know how. Yeah. And you had to play it to really feel that, I think. I think so, too. Like, I, I had watched a video of it before I kind of impulse bought it. Um, I, I watched, like, maybe a 20 to 30 minute video of, like, just somebody running around that first area. And was like, yeah, I might I might check this out because I'm, like, kind of curious about it. I had no idea that you would ever leave that world and go to a different one. And I think that's, like, a really important thing to note that, like, there is a certain point where this game, we, we say it literally constantly whenever we're streaming it. But, like, this game is every game and this game can be 
be every game. There is literally no point at which you feel like you have settled into what this game is uh, because it is constantly surprising. Yeah. I have no, there's another place in the labyrinth that we have yet to explore that we have the key to. I have no idea what is behind that door. I have no idea at all. Um, and even if it is just like the ice level, I think it'll be a really interesting ice level. You yeah. and I joke that like we could go through there and we could end up on like gamefacts.com. Like it could be a gamefacts.com world. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. it could literally become anything. And and I a think Steamboat Willie world. That's just such a powerful feeling to have in a video game in 2019 where like you tend to be so overexposed to games before they come out that like you kind of know everything it has to offer before you even start playing it because like you have to make an informed purchasing decision. Um, in this case, I thought I knew everything I needed to know to enjoy this game and have been consistently like flabbergasted by what is around every corner. And I wonder, I truly wonder, I'm not sure about this, if that is intentional. Are they setting us up with because at this point a post-apocalyptic setting is like almost as like commonplace as you can get in a video game. Right. Like it is the setting. So I wonder if they purposely started that way to make everything else feel so surprising. Yeah. The fact that you go from you know fighting a bunch of trees in a in a desolate city to literally hitting the right bells to appease a hooved trickster with two flutes mm-hmm. and horns yeah. is nuts. I wouldn't have believed you if you told me that that was what was ahead of yeah. us. Yeah, it's it's unreal. Uh, and like it has plenty of issues, which is like what holds me back from saying like this is a must get thing. Like it is kind of a hot mess, but it's a really successful hot mess. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the best way. I, that's that's my elevator pitch. It's not Dark Souls with guns, but like a very fun hot mess that is somehow every game. <laughs> yeah, and just I guess just to like kind of uh, get a little bit specific for those of you who are like maybe considering buying this, like the the actual issues that exist mainly mainly exist in like performance issues where like the game gets very framey and slows down if there are too many enemies. Um, every once in a while, like the hit detection is a little bit off and like it just you know doesn't doesn't feel completely tight. But that said, like you and I have had no problem like continuing to play this game. It has crashed my PS4 I think two times at this point, maybe three times. Um, <laughs> yeah, our streams have encountered some technical difficulties. Yeah. Which is like maybe this game's haunted. Like no one else seems to be talking about it. It might be like a creepy pasta. You and I like are the only people who have this. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that said, like they seem pretty committed to making this game better. Uh, they've already added a piece of DLC since you and I started playing it and talking about it, uh, which is wild. They added in a, comp- a completely new mode to the game um, that's called Adventure Mode, which you joked like, "What is the thing that you and I are playing if it not if not Adventure?" Yeah. Mode? If this is not an adventure, uh, what is what is one? Yeah. Please tell me. Um, I guess I don't know. So they seem pretty committed to like adding new stuff to this game and constantly patching it and updating it um and and making it better which is amazing um i'm excited for the first time where they ask you to pay for dlc honestly because like a i just want to give more money to these developers personally uh because what they have pulled off is something that i have not seen in a video game in a long time but on top of that like the next time they ask me for money i know i'm gonna get some wild shit you know yeah it's it's a really fun game and i think like the variety you, you brought it up with moonlighter of like what lies ahead of me what are my goals you know like what kind of character am I trying to right. build the thing is I think as much as they're like throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks what sticks is like an incredible amount of character customization alongside the most variety and setting I've seen in a game short of Kingdom Hearts <laughs> you know yeah like it's 
it's a lot. I would have never thought uh, to make the Kingdom Hearts connection, but you are so, so right about it. Yeah. Like the War 13 is the Traverse Town of Remnant. Yeah. I know I'm linking a lot there. Like, and I think whenever I talk about this game, I end up using similes way more than I would have. Like I'm not usually one to be like, oh, this is so the Inkle. But like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's hard not to when I think I think that feels more conscious the more I play of it. Yeah. It feels like they're they're really nodding at a lot of <laughs> and things are named like very directly, you know. Yeah. What's funny is like there's a lot of like like Dark Souls, the loading screens are like item descriptions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get descriptions that are like clearly meant to be read in a cowboy accent. <laughs> Uh-huh. And like like the the description for like forged iron was like they say they used to build tanks that could fly with this stuff and it's like yeah do people really not know planes for a thing based on everything we've seen in this game right that's what that's nuts you literally come across a downed plane like in in that world which is yeah. the best part given it's inhabited by a salesman who's named old mud tooth yeah who <laughs> seems to only laugh and sell you like bandages uh-huh. but uh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what planes have become. Like, oh yeah, those are old Mudtooth's house. Oh, also, don't worry anyway. about using too many similes because I just compared Yoshi's Island to the Bible, Lord of the Rings, uh, and like fourteen <laughs> other things. So I think we're good. And the Star Wars prequels. The, yeah, the, and the Star Wars prequels. This really screams the Book of Genesis and Attack of the Clones uh, to me personally. <laughs> Joseph's Amazing Technicolor Metachlorians. There you oh go. my God. That's the title. I think we should maybe wrap up. I think we should wrap up. Thanks as always to all those who listen. We really love doing this show and we really eternally flatter that people seem to enjoy listening. If you like the show, the best way to support it is to share it with someone you think might like it as well. Leaving a review on Apple Podcasts also helps a lot. Uh, you can just rate it if you don't want to write a review. Uh, either helps we have a Discord that is super active and super great, and that is for the entire network uh, of TWG podcasts. So Brendan's uh, and Andrea's show about uh, Terrace House is also there. They have a community there as well. Yeah. It's very great. I should finally start watching so I can maybe you absolutely take part in the should. Oof, it's good. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really great time there. Everyone there is really nice and insightful, which is cool that 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 is the case um i'm really happy to see that what else what else we have a oh, twitter account actually uh, uh, on that note um i just want to mention i i've been very specific about not like specifically putting the link to the discord anywhere except for the show notes to this show where it is embedded like as a link and not written out as the link i i just am very wary of like random people joining it which is why i've always formatted it that way if you're listening on a podcast platform or podcast app that doesn't that doesn't show that link go to the worst garbage dot online where i also have the link there uh and, and click it there if you're looking for it um if you're the kind of person who has been looking for it in the show notes and has not found it or been able to click it because of the limitations of that app that is another place where you can find it just wanted to give that heads up because i've i've had some people ask how to get in uh because like spotify for example doesn't show the link ah interesting okay good i'm glad you brought that up but yeah it's a great it's a great place a really good community and we have a twitter as well uh, it's at into the cast we have a twitch account that's also at into the cast we have a patreon that is also at into the cast um mm-hmm. patreon.com into the cast uh and speaking of that i'm gonna give a shout out to all that back the show i do this every time but i'm always like blushing and flattered and in disbelief that we have this many people to thank yeah it's it's so, so cool. here is your shout out thank you to all those who back the show thank you very much to spencer scout philip min melly muffin pie marcel mark kyle kim cameron jeff inez 
Hilton, Christopher, Brett, Bolt, Benjamin, Andrew, and Akira. Thank you so much. I have no words other than thank you and you're the best. Yeah. Worth noting that uh, I think our Fire Emblem bonus episode should be out like relatively soon, right after we're done recording this. Steve and I are recording the last part of that. The recording session so far is over three hours long, so it might take a little while for me to edit, but luckily I'm going to be on a plane for like 18 hours soon, uh, so I will probably get it done during that. I'm embarrassed because we started that and you're like, how long do you think this will be? I'm like, oh, I should probably breeze through like, you know, half hour, touch on, and like, you know, I'm like sweating and like crying during uh-huh. it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm not sweating or crying during it, but it is. it has been fun to record. Uh, I'm not sweating or crying during recording. <laughs> Why do I set myself up this way? Anyway, uh, we also have a YouTube channel where we basically put all the uh, recordings of our streams as like a backlog. Mm-hmm. We have some fun stuff there. We have our Oblivion playthrough. Uh, that is also into the cast, I believe, right? Or is it just into the Aether? No, we don't have a URL on that yet. Uh, you have to find that in, in okay. the show notes. Um, I think we have to have 100 subscribers before we can grab uh, uh, a link. <laughs> yeah, so it might be. I guess like might be that might be our call to get people to subscribe to that channel. Um, yeah. Also, that is where... Uh, the remnant streams live because we had some like weird stuff go on where my PS4 crashed while we were playing it. So I had to like actually manually edit all of that together. So that is where yeah. the uh, entirety of our remnant streams lives is on YouTube. Yeah. I just bring that up in case, cause I know we have uh, some people who listen to the show that are in, in significantly different time zones. So if you ever wanted to watch a stream, but didn't catch it, uh, they're all mostly on Twitch and they're all on YouTube. Yes. Um, so they exist there for you to watch later if you want to. Uh, what else do we have? I think that's it. I think that's it. Wow, we have a lot of housekeeping to do at the end of these episodes now. Yeah, we do. That's amazing. Uh, that's all thanks uh, to you. It really is. It used to be like our sign-offs used to be so awkward because I was like, and that's it. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> I'm not good with goodbyes, Brendan. Yeah, but yeah, thank you all so much. Uh, this show has been a joy to record, and honestly, uh, just thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah, I didn't mean to leave such an awkward silence. Uh, yeah, I just echo everything Stephen said. It, it's I almost started singing because there was so much negative. Space. I mean, I'm not going to tell you to not sing. I mean, I was going to sing ba 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 from Yoshi's yeah. Island. So I'm glad you stopped me. Well, I mean, you just did it anyway. So. <laughs> and here you are the, doing the, it. like the drugged out version. Yeah. Of it, like, you hit so many. I wonder if our audio is fading out as we continue to talk, <laughs> even though the episode is over. I don't know. It is. It is. It's always my fault, too. Yeah. See it's you okay, in hell. Though. See you in hell, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. No, not we love them. you. Just you. Oh, okay. Only so we're in hell. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Recorded from hell. What if that was, what if that was like the secret moment? Garbage dot online.